If you would like to turn to page six, I'll just be walking us through the Titus text a little bit here this evening with the emphasis on grace. Not just Christmas, Christianity is about grace. The sinner stands before God, exposed, naked, wrong. And God wants the sinner. God wants you. And so he sent his only begotten son into your flesh to save you from you. Because he is a God of grace. A God who desires mercy. Because that's who he is. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. That's very clearly from St. Paul writing many years later, having been converted after persecuting the church, very clearly his testimony about Jesus. What is the grace that has appeared? Jesus. The babe born in a manger, yes. The beautiful story, yes, but so much more. Born to die. Born to live, that man might die no more. That grace has appeared. Now, many, many years later, two millennium later, that grace still has appeared. Nothing has changed that. Nothing about our experiences the last two years, the last 50 years, the last 150 years. Nothing's changed that. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Grace has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. This implies something I want to remind us of tonight. It's not the the standard happiness sermon you might expect, but it's important. The grace being brought for all people, nonetheless, doesn't change the fact that not all people want grace. And that there are going to be many people who die and leave this veil of tears without grace. Remember this same baby when he grows up and begins to talk. He says, the way is wide and many are on it that go to destruction. The way is narrow and few who find it that go to salvation. That narrow road is grace. That wide road, that's me. It's what I do. It's my pride, it's my arrogance, it's my works, which he'll talk about here in a moment. Salvation for all people has been brought in Jesus Christ, training us to be different than the world, to be sure, to renounce ungodliness. You want to know what's wrong with our country right now? It's not a political party. It's not an individual or a company. It's ungodliness. We spent the last 40 or 50 years teaching in our schools that there is no God, And then we all came from monkeys. And people hemmed and hawed and said, this won't go well, this won't go well. I'll tell you what, it hadn't gone well. But you are different than this, my friends. You are those who believe there is such a thing as a God, and he does have a design for this world, and he desires us to renounce the rejection of that, which includes then, next line, our worldly passions. To understand that in your flesh is a natural desire that wars against godliness. But you've been trained by salvation, by the knowledge of Christ on the cross, to renounce that, to want to get away from that, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. He doesn't say present evil age there, but he says it in other places. So to emphasize again, this place that we're in now is not your home. It's not somewhere you want to spend the rest of eternity. And frankly, to die is gain. To die 
is gain. For far too long, we've had it easy here. And we've come to believe that it's better to be here as long as possible. Worst thing that can happen to me is I die. If you're a Christian, you can't believe that. It's just not true. To die is gain. Again, this present age, filled with its evil, we are waiting for it to be rolled up. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope. Waiting for the advent of Christ a second time. Waiting for the scroll to be wrapped up and this world to be thrown into the fire. That's our hope. says it right there. The appearing of the glory of God, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christmas is a celebration of the incarnation that came so that he could put an end to the world. Or let me say this a different way. Christianity is an end-of-the-world cult. Okay, by cult, I don't mean small group in a corner. I mean people who are weird and different from everybody else. We believe the end of the world is coming, and with it, fire and judgment and wrath. And we actually hope in this. Because why? Because you've been saved from it. Because the God of all grace has made this salvation appear for you already. He, verse 14, gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. That's the ungodliness. To redeem, that means to buy. To buy. To put down credit. To take cash and pay for only not silver or gold. But the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without spot or blemish. To buy us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself. He wants you to purify for himself. A people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you want a better homeland. You want a world where liars don't lead but are punished, where thieves aren't allowed to get away with stealing, when babies and children are not allowed to be murdered, where man and wife live together in love and unity for the sake of that children and the next generation. You want a homeland where the design is held to and where, again, where you are set free from the ramifications of your own rebellion against that. We ourselves were such. We're all born into this. We're all in the same boat. Nobody's better than anybody else here. Verse 3, we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Now, what I want you to take from that set of lines there, though, now, not only is, yeah, you were born into that. That's what your flesh still will try to convince you to do. And if you go long enough without any feeding from the word and sacraments of Jesus, that's who you'll become again. But I want you to know that that's who's out there on this planet right now. If they're not Christians, this is who they are. Disobedient, led astray, slaves to passion, passing their days in malice and envy, hating and being hated. And what are we to do in response to this? Live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Which means what again? Does it mean go shake your finger at everyone else? No, it means grace. It means mercy. It means to see everyone else as trapped and blind and unable to see their way out but needing someone to come and give them what they don't have, again, which is hope. Which is hope. Hope that you have. 
so that you are different now. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Highlight that if you got your own Bible, for goodness sakes. He saved us. Done, finished, over, forgiven. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Not because any of us are better than any other. Not because we've set aside our, our, our deeds and actions and made them to build up a pyramid of joy and greatness in ourselves. It's the opposite of all of that. Whatever you build of your own that you look at, that's only pride. But all of that, he set aside again, nailing it to the cross because of, there again, according to his own mercy. That's grace. Mercy is grace. It mentions here the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. If you've studied your small catechism, maybe you will remember that we, as Lutherans, like to talk about that as meaning holy baptism. It's hard to imagine there is any other washing in the New Testament besides holy baptism. And yet at the same time, I'll, I'll admit that Lutheran preachers are want to find baptism under every rock in the New Testament sometimes and, and amplify it a bit much. Here's what I want to say to you about that tonight. I want to say that all the arguments about baptism you ever had with people is because they don't understand that you can't separate baptism from Jesus. You can't separate Jesus saying, go baptize people from Jesus. It's Jesus who said, go baptize people. And so when that word gets to people and they're baptized, only Jesus could have done this. Only Jesus could have poured out this washing upon people. So whether or not this text specifically is about baptism or not doesn't matter. The point is you've been washed in the name of Jesus. Where? How? When? When you submitted to discipleship in Jesus. Whether you were a baby, whether you were an adult, you were brought and you were bound to the discipline of Jesus' salvation, which is a gift of eternal grace to you again. That binding to discipleship is binding to mercy from God to you. And without question, this pours out the Holy Spirit on you. The people who can't believe it happened at the font, that's their problem. You can believe it happened at the font because you can believe it happens all the time. And the font is the place where God singled you out to make sure you could never miss it. That the whole world will know that's a disciple now. That's a Christian now. Washed with the regeneration to believe you are godly, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. And so you're called out of your ungodliness and you're therefore going to pursue, again, a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. Washed, regenerated, renewed, and the Holy Spirit making this that you know is only because he is risen. Mm. Alleluia. Pouring out on richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that if you're highlighting again, being justified by his grace. What's justified mean? I, I, I like, uh, I, don't, I don't like, I hate uh, Microsoft Word, but I, I used to use Microsoft Word. And, and I always liked how you could like click a button and make all the stuff that was lined up on the left, it could all go and be centered. You ever do that? Make the whole text be centered. You're like, oh, it's a poem now, right? You make it all go to the right side. Okay, you know what they call that? It's center justified. Right justified, left justified. Help you remember that word. What does it mean? It all straight in the line. All exactly where it's supposed to be. All lined up as it should be. You, you personally in the heart, you as a people, you children and families, you have been justified by God. Now, not on a page, but in his sight. Again, by his grace. That you might become something, an heir 
an heir, an inheritor, one who's going to receive what? Eternal life. When? Now. Already. Again, death is gain because you can't die. Yea, though you die, yet you will live. And on this Christmas, if you will remember anything else in the darkness of this present age, it is that this present age is passing away. That this life you live now is this much time on a timeline that's not this long because that wouldn't be eternity. It's not this long, that wouldn't be eternity either. It never ends. There's no end to it. This life ends. But the rest of life, your life doesn't end. You're an heir of eternal life. And the only thing that's ever going to change is that when you die or when he comes back, it's going to get better. That's it. Everything else is going to be exactly like it is. You, in God's sight, living with humans who he made for you to love. Again, the only thing that changes when he comes again, perfect body, perfect relationships. All of this now already given, already demonstrated in that infant's face in the manger who comes meek and mild to take your place on the cross and to feed you with his precious resurrected body and blood right now in the name of Jesus. Amen.